This is the second part of the fourth reflection, which is growing in the likeness and image of God. Let us pray. Lord, we turn to you. We pray that you show us how to grow in the likeness and image of you by opening our hearts in faith to your revelation in Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And we pray through the intercession of Mother Mary. Amen. Amen. So in this part two, we will continue with the John Paul II's apostolic letter. And this part is going to be focused on sin. So the apostolic letter says this. Do you want to read this? <laughs> Although he was made by God in a state of justice, from the very dawn of history, man abused his liberty at the urging of the evil one. Man set himself against God and sought to find fulfillment apart from God. Sin is a negation of God as creator in his relationship to man and of what God wills for man from the beginning and forever. Creating men and women in his own image and likeness, God wills for them the fullness of good. That means he wants supernatural happiness, which flows from sharing in his own life. By committing sin, man rejects this gift and at the same time wills to become as God, knowing good and evil. That is to say, deciding what is good and what is evil independently of God, his creator. In other words, he, he wants to decide what's right and wrong on his own without learning what is right and wrong from God. Isn't this the reality of our world, our culture? And the reality of each of us. Yes. Because we're seeing here as we enter our disordered desires, none of us are living fully in the will of God. So all of us, to a certain extent, of course, are living outside of the will of God according to what we want and not necessarily what God mm. wants. So I think it's important here to be clear about what is the lie, the temptation. We were created to be like God. That is a good desire. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like God. But the temptation is, I want to be God on my own without relating to him. So this is the choice. Am I going to find happiness by me being the center and 
using God and using others for my own self-engrandizement? Or do I realize that I become fully who I am in communion with the other, giving myself to the other? And that's a choice here. So he goes on to say, the sin of the first parents has its own human measure. And it's this, an interior standard of its own in man's free will. And it also has within itself a certain diabolic characteristic, which is clearly shown in the book of Genesis 3.15. Sin brings about a break in the original unity which man enjoyed in the state of original justice, and that is union with God at the source of the unity of his own eye, in the mutual relationship between man and woman. So the source of those relationships is our union with God, and that has been broken from original sin with great consequences for all of us. As I set aside God to decide what is right and wrong on my own, right away my relationship with all others is also damaged and becomes self-centered. This is important for us that are living the simple path because all of us have done the work of our wounds from our generation as far as our father wounds, mother wounds, grandparent wounds, and on and on. Yet it is very important for all of us to understand that we have wounds that go beyond just our mother and father. These are wounds that go all the way back from the beginning from our first parents. John Paul II speaks about this diabolic characteristic. This is why as we live the path, we're constantly discovering that there is evil in each of us. Isaiah chapter 1, 16 through 20, it says, wash yourselves Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Through your, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. So it's important to know that there is an evil. There's a darkness in all of us. And we are open to discovering that darkness so that the light of God can penetrate it. And there's two important words here also from Isaiah 1, willing and obedient. And those are words that the Lord has used for us. Willingness, especially in the first nail of crucifixion, it's united to the virtue of obedience. So it's learning more and more to be obedient, to be led and purified by God. And those that don't enter this self-discovery is a certain rebelliousness, and there's great consequence for that also. So what do we learn from Genesis as far as how it applies to us today? The sin of Adam and Eve disposes us to certain disordered tendencies, which we're going to see in ourselves, which we call concupiscence. First, to blame, the disordered tendency to blame. The man said from Genesis 3.12, The woman who you gave to be with me, 
she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. So from the very beginning, Adam blames Eve. And we still have that tendency to not look at ourselves, to not take responsibility, to immediately blame someone else. And beyond blaming Eve, he's blaming God. You gave her to me. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, now it's the fault of God. When first he was saying, oh, finally, this is really bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Now he messed it up and he doesn't want to acknowledge. There's no sense of repentance. And so in order to protect himself, he blames the woman and blames God. And we need to see these tendencies that are in us. And it comes very natural in a way for us to do that. We have to fight against that. Another thing we learn, disordered tendency, is to protect ourselves at the expense of others. For example, we see this in the scriptures in John chapter 5, verse 10 to 11. The Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. So Jesus had cured this man that had been, I think, like 35 years waiting to enter the waters to be cured. And Jesus comes and heals him and tells him, pick up your mat and go. So now he's confronted by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are telling them, you're breaking the law, you're carrying your mat. So what does he do? He answered, The man who made me well said to me, take up your mat and walk. So he immediately blames Jesus. Instead of appreciating the Lord and what he did and defending the Lord, he puts him under the bus with the Pharisees. What else do we learn from Genesis? To believe the lies. That's why living the path, we see how our personalities have become disordered because we believe so many lies and continue to believe the lies of Satan. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 to 5, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. She believes the lie. Another disordered tendency to desire to be like God but in order to control our own lives and decide what is good and evil, as Father Jordi was saying. It says in scriptures, Genesis 3, 5, you will be like God, knowing good and evil, is what the serpent tells them. In this way, we have this disordered desires and tendencies to live independently of God's will and to do our own thing. We also have a desire to desire what is the delight of our eyes. And here you see very strongly the capital sin of greed. It says in scripture in Genesis. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, she took of its fruit and ate. And here we see the whole sins of materialism and really the root sin of of greed. I think an important point here in this delight of the eyes is that God made everything good. So the devil 
can't create anything. All he can do is present to us what is good completely out of the context of the fullness of goodness. Mm -hmm. And I think a beautiful example of that is so simple is if you think of a mouse, how you trap a mouse is by putting cheese, which is good for them, but in a mouse trap. And the, the mouse can only see the cheese and gets trapped. So that's what Satan does with us. And our defense from that is just trusting in God. You see, what were Adam and Eve doing, marooning around the tree that we're not supposed to eat? Did you have just, just keep away from it, far away. Don't even go there. But they were playing with fire until they got burned because they exposed themselves to a desire that is then they just got out of control. And here is having desires that we see that are outside of the will of God. And this is in all of us. So it's the discovering of what desires do we continue to have that are outside the will of God. And the last one we found is to hide. Hide our sins from God and ourselves. Hide our shortcomings. Hide behind masks of falsehood. Genesis 3.8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden, at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What is the opposite of hiding? It's living in the light, exposed, transparent. And that is why from the beginning of the path in chapter 2, we talk about entering transparency. And it is incredible when we really begin to see the many ways we hide. And the other thing we discovered through living the path is the many masks we've come. Every mask we've come to wear is a hiding behind something that's false. So this is all part of tendencies we have that go to the beginning of the fall. That's really beautiful when we understand and are able to discover. So he goes on, John Paul II, sin, in fact, diminishes man, as the Second Vatican Council also recalls. If a man is the image and likeness of God by his very nature as a person, then his greatness and his dignity are achieved in the covenant with God, in union with him, in striving towards that fundamental unity which belongs to the internal logic of the very mystery of creation. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you, we read in Genesis chapter 3.16. Here we discover a break and a constant threat precisely in regards to this unity of the two, which corresponds to the dignity of the image and likeness of God in both of them. But this threat is more serious for the woman since domination takes the place of 
being a sincere gift and therefore living for the other. So the minute sin comes in, the union of the two is broken and the consequence is now your desire shall be your husband and he shall rule over you. This was not in the plan of God. So that has to be restored in us. I think many times when people read the Genesis, they think that it's God who is creating this domination. And That's like a punishment. <laughs> yeah, and, and what God is doing is declaring what has happened because of sin. You see what you've done? This is your choice. Now there's going to be this break in the union. Instead of being for the other, you're going to be dominated. Mm-hmm. And this is terrible. We have to, through Christ, come to redemption of this wrong. Mm-hmm. And what happens here once this sin, this continues to affect all of us, something we have to work against, but coming to understand this and how God created and what happened from the beginning is very important for our growth in to know who we truly are, our mission and where we're going. We all have the inclination to sin, as Don Paul II tells us. It is this hereditary sinfulness. It's not just our generation, but it's a generation that goes all the way back that is affecting us. And here, Paul II talks about the tendency to go against the moral order which corresponds to the rational nature and dignity of man and woman. So we live with this inclination and these disordered tendencies because of that break of what God wanted for us from the beginning. We continue with John Paul II. In the name of liberation from male domination, women must not appropriate to themselves male characteristics contrary to their own feminine originality. There is a well-founded fear that if they take this path, women will not reach fulfillment, but instead will deform and lose what constitutes their essential richness. Okay, so let's unpack this a little, because this Mm -hmm. is very important for us as men and women. So first, let's take the men. From Adam's original sin of not having been the defender and protector of Eve, all men carry this hereditary sinfulness and therefore will have to struggle greatly and strive diligently to become in Christ the providers, defenders, and protectors of women and the church, defenders and protectors of truth. Men will have to strive against the desire to dominate making them predators and using women for their own selfish desires. And men dominate every time they abuse their authority. They abuse the God-given strength that was meant to protect and defend and use it for their own selfishness. And that is evil. You know, in this house, we'll do what I say. And it's going to be like this, or raising your voice. Men can intimidate women just by raising their voice because they have muscles and strength. 
And the use of that strength that way is applied here as an, uh, we see an evil that it's something good, that's strength, but it's misused. Exactly. So what happens is in the world and in the church, what we're seeing is men in this brokenness from original sin that have not been transformed and have not entered this self-discovery. So they remain men that are not able to defend and protect in the godly way that God gave them. And that's really the breakdown we're seeing in the priesthood and in the church. Mm -hmm. Men that have not been able to defend, protect, and provide as fathers in union with God the Father, the church, the bride. In the case of priests, we can take ownership of our parish and say, this is my parish, and become domineering instead of being a father who's serving and giving his life, realizing that his life is to be given to brothers and sisters put in their responsibility. So a biggie for men is that ability that they were created from the beginning to be able to defend and protect. But either they become what we call wimpy and they can't defend, they can't confront the truth or, like Father was saying, they abuse that strength and they become dominating but that is not defending and protecting either that is destroying so either one is not really a defender and protector and provider and that's the breakdown of manhood that christ came to restore so now let's look at the women Mm -hmm. women by having the core wound of not having been defended and protected have believed the lie that they now must become the defenders and protectors. And what happens? Having taken on this characteristic that belongs to the men, many women, I would say all women to different extents, have become hardened, tough, harsh, harsh fighters, though in a manly way seducers, thus losing characteristics of their femininity such as tenderness, nurturing, gentleness, and the ability to suffer for love. Let me give you an example, a personal example of mine. As the Lord was taking me in these areas, he allowed me to discover a wound that I never knew I had. And that was the wound that I had not been defended and protected by my father. My mother was an impulsive woman, and she was very harsh and many ways abusive. And yet, when my father saw this and was present, he never defended me. And all of a sudden, the Lord opened up this area in my feminine heart that I never knew I had that has been affecting me till this day. And there is a hardness that entered my heart. And I realized that any time I see any woman that has not been defended by the men in their, her life, 
I can enter such a rage, such an anger. And if I know any of those men, I feel um, angry. angry at them. And not only angry, but they disgust me. And all of this that's in my heart just came to light. And I was like, wow. And I realized this is an area that the Holy Spirit as a woman was having me to look at, to heal, so that my femininity, especially in my tenderness, could be restored. So these are areas that both men and women need to look at. Notice, I think that someone might be thinking, how can we say that a woman should not protect herself because there are some situations that yes. they, they have to protect themselves. Yes, of course, we're going to protect ourselves. It's not saying that we're not going to protect ourselves. But interiorly, in the core of my femininity, I took on a role taking charge that is really not my role and is affecting. So it doesn't mean I'm never going to protect myself, but it, I need to understand that there has been a brokenness in my yeah. feminine heart that God is now coming to show me that he really wants to restore. Yeah. What happens because of this wound, this attitude becomes part of the woman's personality and that makes her distorted. Yeah. Because it just goes over time. It, yeah. it, it begins to reflect itself in all kinds of circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things that I have learned in speaking with many, many women and in different countries all over the world is that many of us have been wounded by harsh mothers, both men and women, mothers that did not have tenderness and gentleness. And a harsh woman is a wounded woman. And so a lot of that harshness has come into that feminine heart because she was hurt either by fathers or husbands that have gone into adulterous relationships, so they've become hardened. And that hardness has been passed on generation after generation. You see it also in the women's liberation movement. There you see it many times to an extreme, women that have come to the point that actually hate men mm -hmm. and have tried to become more manly than womanly yeah. in a very harsh and strong way. And there were reasons for it, but the solution and the response was also wrong. Exactly. John Paul II says that if women take this path, it's very dangerous. And that's mm -hmm. why he specifically points this out for women. And we have to be very careful and see, in a way, how all of us as women have taken this path and now come to see how God wants to restore us. And also, you speak here about becoming the seducer. And this is a way of relating with men because... A woman thinks that's the only way that 
any man will ever pay attention to them. Right. So what it And in a minute we're going to get into yeah. that father through uh, <laughs> So we're going to get into this right. whole seduction and yeah. and uh, predator thing of men and women that has to be healed. So we continue now with the John Paul's letter. He says, "The inheritance of sin suggested by the words in the Bible, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you can be conquered only by following this path. The overcoming of this evil inheritance is generation after generation. The task of every human being, whether woman or man. So this is what we're doing here in Love Crucified. It, for all those living the path is the words of John Paul II that the only way to be restored is we have to follow the path. We have to dig deep. That is why men and women that do not go deep into our own hearts and allow God to enter those places cannot be restored and will not be restored in the dignity that God created both of us men and women. So the path is developing the gift that man and women received on the day of creation. Absolutely. And say we received the gift of being man, be woman, and that has to be developed and only in Christ can it come to fullness. And that is what is redemption. So redemption is not just, well, I go to confession or I am baptized, I receive the sacraments. There is an actual transformation of the whole person that we have to cooperate with. Mm -hmm. And it is only through, and this is the important point of what Bishop Fulton Sheen was saying in John Paul II, this kind of redemption of, through Jesus Christ can only come to every man and woman that lives what God gave us, the ability of self-discovery and self-realization. So those that don't enter that self-discovery will not be restored. So this is opening a whole new depth of reality that is coming mm -hmm. to our consciousness. Mm -hmm. So we end this part of the epistolic letter with a call to men, actually. John Paul II says, Jesus enters into the concrete and historical situation of women, a situation which is weighed down by the inheritance of sin. One of the ways in which this inheritance is expressed is habitual discrimination against women in favor of men. This inheritance is rooted within women too. So here we have to look at some of the things Father and I were discussing while I've been here, is men will have to open their hearts wide to God to purify their discriminatory view of women, no matter how subtle and hidden it may be. Discriminations brought down from generation to generation. For example, these were some of the ones Father and I came up with. Many boys are raised that to be a real boy, to be a real man, you need to be sexually active. 
And this was very common, I think, in the Latin culture. But make sure you marry a virgin. So, yeah. you know, how much of those messages for men, for boys, since they were young, hearing that has affected the manly heart. And we've got to go there. Yeah. And something very, very common, and there are some testimonies on the path of this, is men mocking and making fun of women sexually in the way they talk, in the way they laugh at them, like if they were some kind of toys for their pleasure. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely piercing the heart of Jesus. It's yeah. so horrific. Uh, that, that kind of manly talk that we think it's okay. As long as there's no kids around or no women around, we are free now. This is the boys' club to speak about women in this degrading way. And this is really discriminatory against women. And it's destroying manliness. Absolutely. Yeah. Another one. Men should have other women on the sides besides their wives. Pornography hurts no one. It's no big deal. It's, you know, something private. As the head of their homes, they can abuse their wives and children physically and verbally. And here we see the disorder of domination and on and on. So each of you have to really go deep to see how you were raised and what messages did your fathers and mothers give you concerning what is true manhood and what is true womanhood. And even then as women, hearing those messages to our brothers, how did that affect our femininity? So this is a work of this week that goes deep that we invite all of you to do. So now we're going to bring all of this together through an example in the gospel of Mark 6, verse 17 to 28. Do you think we should read the gospel, Father, or just give an overview and then go into the example? I can give an overview so people can, you know, all our brothers and sisters can read it. It's Matthew 6, 17 to 28. Mm -hmm. Okay, what happens here in the gospel is the story of John the Baptist when he goes to Herod mm -hmm. and he, he confronts Herod and he tells him it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And then we go on and they're at the dinner and Herodias is very angry with John the Baptist because he has said this to her husband Herod. And then at the banquet, she gets her daughter to do the dance Mm -hmm. And Herod promises her whatever she wants. And then the mother says, give me the head of John the Baptist. And John the, the Baptist is killed. So that's an overview. So we're going to look at all the characters in this gospel scene to reveal to us true manhood and broken manhood and a broken womanhood. Okay, so let's take John the Baptist first. John the Baptist, it tells us in scripture, was a righteous and holy man, a restored man through Christ. He is an example, John the Baptist, of a man who can defend and protect. Yes, and he's, who is he defending and protecting here? The people of God, because the behavior of kings and people in leadership is going to deeply affect the culture. It's going to deeply affect what is considered okay and the norm. 
So that's why he's confronting this way. Yeah, and he's confronting evil. And he is confronting evil with truth. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you see here a real, uh, we have an image of a restored man. Now let's look at Herod. Herod feared John because of his holiness. It tells us in verse 20 of chapter 6. Herod, on the other hand, is a coward who is not able to defend and protect John, even though he knows that John is a holy and righteous man. Why? Because Herod has become a people pleaser. And all he's interested is in what the others are going to think of him. And he's not a man that can have that authority, even as king, to defend what's right. It's really a paradox because Herod has power. He's exercising the function of a king, even though he's not a king, but he has armies. He mm-hmm. has, apparently, he, he has power. And yet, he's so insecure. He is so afraid of John the Baptist, who has no armies or no physical powers. And uh, he's afraid because he sees in John the Baptist this the power of God. Mm-hmm. And he's afraid. And uh, he's manipulated by his by this woman, Herodias, who's not really his wife. So he's a man who's dominated, who is manipulated, who's a people pleaser. So you can have all the power of a king and be in this miserable condition that he's not manly. Okay, so now let's look at Herodias. Herodias is a hardened and dominating woman whose femininity has become distorted and evil, resentful angry, and revengeful. She teaches her daughter the same, so she brings it on down the generation. Therefore, Satan is able again, like Eve, to work through the woman because Herod, the man, is not who he is called to be. And that's exactly what happens. Let's look at another woman here, a young woman, her daughter, She dances seductively, verse 22. She becomes the seducer along with her mother and brings forth a downfall of the men through Satan's evil in them, in these women. The men want what is a delight to their eyes, lust. So these women as seducers, are bringing forth the lust in all those men that are watching them. A seductive woman awakens in the man lust, and they become prowlers. So we see this whole scene Mm -hmm. of a distorted manhood and womanhood with John the Baptist at the center, revealing a restored manhood. And here we see something that we need to be aware of the whole area of seduction, seducers. And this in our culture is what women have mainly become. And here in the United States, when we recently had the Super Bowl, um, the halftime show was this, Herodias' daughter. It was women seducing in the way they were dancing, in the way they were dressing. We go back, the lie 
that if I am not a seducer, if I am not sexy, I am not going to be desired or wanted by men. It's a whole lie. It's a distortion. So when women become seducers, it's a whole distortion of how woman was created from the beginning by God. In the world, it does seem to work, right? These women become famous, they become popular, but at at what price? Mm -hmm. At self-destruction, destruction of others, and more and more being away from the true happiness that Mm -hmm. is the relationship with God. And again, we we have to go deep here as men and women, and this is part of the homework we have to do this week. How much of these messages that I might have been raised with are still part of me? Mm-hmm. As women, how much of this whole area of seduction has affected me? Where is it still in me? And as men, you, am I still responding in lust? Um, is this still a big struggle in my manly heart? Why? So l- let us take this teaching very, very seriously. We have other examples, but you'll have them in your notes. But a beautiful example we'll end with is Maximilian Kolbe, who, like John the Baptist, defended truth, and he defended a man who was martyred for it. So when a man does not defend and protect with the pretext that nothing I say will change their minds, Mm -hmm. which is very common, you can be in many situations And it's sometimes very difficult to confront because the other people there are going to care less what you say. But when a man doesn't protect and confront evil, his silence enables evil and keeps his manhood oppressed. John the Baptist's words to Herod did not change Herod from being taking on Herodias. But because he defended the truth by confronting an evil, he was a righteous and holy man before God. He gained the respect of Herod, and it was Herod who actually feared John. This reminds me of Franz Jagerstatter. He was a young married man that was conscripted into the Nazi army, and he refused out of principle. And everybody, even the priest, even the bishop, told him, Your sacrifice is not going to change the course of the war. Mm -hmm. And they're going to kill you. So just go along with it. You can't change the world. That was the excuse. So everybody was trying to save themselves. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing that happened to Jesus. One man is not going to change the world. But united with Christ, we do make a difference. We do make a difference. And for the restoration of manhood and womanhood, When a man, whether he changes anything outside of him, when he acts in the way God created him to act, what is being changed Mm -hmm. in the man might not be any of the other men, but he within himself is being changed. And that's what's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and then it's going to be both. And it does have an effect whether we see it or not. Exactly. Whether we see it or not. Mm -hmm. So let us end then with the homework for this week, heavy-duty homework. (laughs) For women, ask yourself some of these questions. 
How have I not been defended and protected by the men in my life? How have those wounds affected my femininity? What are my disordered tendencies and desires from this wound? For men, did my father provide, defend, and protect me? Have I been able to confront people in order to defend and protect others? Is confrontation difficult for me? Am I able to confront others with the authority of the Holy Spirit? Or am I wimpy or abusive in that? Am I in communion with God the Father? And through this relationship, leading my family as its head to the fullness of God's plan. And lastly, for both, write down, having meditated, our dignity given to us from the beginning by God, write down now, who am I in God's dignity from the beginning of time, Genesis, and who is God the Father for me now? So we end this reflection with Maria's song, Camino a Ti, The Path to You. God bless you. Sencillo de unión con mi Dios y es tu pecho traspasado, es la herida en tu costado donde voy, son tus llagas. Tus heridas, donde encuentro nueva vida, donde soy tu compañera de amor, la que consuela tu dolor, que te acuna entre sus brazos, te recibe en su regazo en tu pasión de amor soy hostia viva por ti cáliz de vida para ti mi hago amor entre tus brazos ya no vivo yo eres tú quien vive en mí Abriste camino a ti, a Dios Trinidad, amor que te dejas ver, te dejas tocar. 
abres puerta a la esperanza, eres una nueva alianza y nueva luz. Y si tú eres mi camino, mi victoria, mi destino está en tu cruz, mi compañero. abrazo me consumo y nace un nuevo corazón mi Dios custodia viva por ti fuerza escondida junto a ti me hago amor entre tus brazos ya no vivo, yo eres tú quien vive en mí, en mí. 